I'm not a scientist, I'm not a physicist, but I did sleep through some classes in science on, on my way to you know, where I am now, and I have heard a few things about those. And so I wanna ask you, what is the first law of thermodynamics, which is the greater the heat, the greater the expansion, what does that have to do with the book of Acts? I'm gonna show you this morning in just a moment. Today is week two of Resilient. Uh, as we journey through the book of Acts, a, a couple of years of joy and exponential, after a couple of years of joy and exponential growth, the church, uh, the churches in Jerusalem's peaceful progress was just suddenly shattered with the death of a man that they loved, a man named Stephen, who was brutally murdered and martyred for his faith in Jesus Christ. And just as suddenly as that happened, following right on the heels of that, of a, a terrorist, a religious terrorist by the name of Saul, began arresting and rounding up Christians in Jerusalem and beating many of them. People were terrified. So thousands of people suddenly left Jerusalem, left everything that they owned, abandoned their homes, and they scattered all across Judea and Samaria to escape the persecution and, and certain imprisonment. That's called a diaspora. If you ever heard of that, that's a, it's a common thing. It's when a population is scattered across regions separate from their own point of origin, their place of, of origin. And we see examples of diaspora on every continent on the globe right now except Antarctica where nobody has ever lived there naturally. Just scientists are there. There's diasporas all over the place today. Now what happened in this diaspora where thousands of people suddenly left Jerusalem it's unimaginable what happened after that, unless you believe in a sovereign God who in all things works for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. Let's see what happened in this diaspora that we read about in the book of Acts today. Open your Bibles to Acts chapter 8, verse 4. If you don't have a Bible, we're going to put the words up on the screen for you in a moment. Also, they're in the BPF app if you have that. If you don't, you to download that app and you can follow along the message notes. We'd love to give you a Bible. If you'd like a physical copy, you can pick one up at the Welcome Center. Just walk by and say, I'd like one of those, and they'll give it to you. We have large print, small print, English and Spanish. So we'd love to give you one. Now, Acts, it's okay to look in the table of contents to find the book of Acts, but it's about three-fourths of the way through the Bible after the first four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So as we're looking, it's what's going on here in this story in Jerusalem is the Jewish religious leaders who were really in control politically of what was going along, as long as they didn't ruffle the feathers of the occupying Romans, they hated Christians and they feared their growing influence in Jerusalem, even so thinking that that might upset the, the, uh, oh, the Romans and, and, and you know, end their you know, main, maintenance on the power levers in Jerusalem. So they killed Stephen. Stephen was the, one of the rising stars in the church. Even though he wasn't even a pastor, he was a volunteer. And they killed him thinking that his death, with his death, the church would scatter to the four winds, and they were right. The church did scatter. What they didn't realize was that Stephen's martyrdom would be the seed for growth. It would be the catalyst for the church's, church's just explosive expansion across the known world. Let's see what happened as this diaspora takes place and the people leave Jerusalem. Acts chapter 8, verse 4. Those who had been scattered hid in fear. No. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Remember the first law of thermodynamics. The greater the heat, the greater the expansion. God allowed heat in the form of persecution to encourage the expansion of the gospel into Judea and Samaria. 
Look at verse five. Philip, okay, so here's the first story of what began happening all outside of Jerusalem, all around Judea and Samaria. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. You might remember from Acts chapter 6, if you were here last fall, that you might remember Philip from there. He wasn't a preacher. He, he wasn't one of the 12 apostles. He was a volunteer in the church, one of the seven selected men of good reputation, full of the spirit and wisdom, chosen to serve widows. That would be comparable to our point guards here at Brazos Point. Philip and all who were scattered, they preached the word. Now that's, that's early church speak, even in the Bible, church speak for telling others about Jesus. That's what it means when you, when you hear someone say, they preach the word at my church. That means we tell you about Jesus and his story. So miraculous things were happening. People were healed of their, of their illnesses and diseases, paralysis. Uh, others were set free from demon possession. And there was just great joy in the city as Philip told people the story of Jesus, that Jesus came, he came from, he was God's son, that he lived a sinless life, that he was crucified and paid the penalty for all of our sin by dying on a cross, and yet he came back to life. And these people like Philip had seen Jesus come back to life. And they were telling the stories and people were excited about that and they were believing in. All because people who were persecuted for following Jesus, they couldn't stop talking about him. Even while they were running for their lives. And you talk about resilient, that's resilience. The gospel began spreading all across Jerusalem, not, not in spite of persecution, but because of persecution. Here's something the church of Jesus Christ has learned over and over again for 2,000 years and up to this very day. While suffering may be inevitable for following Jesus Christ, for some, while suffering may be inevitable, God's mission is unstoppable. It is unstoppable. Persecution never stops the spread of the gospel. It's usually an accelerant. And that's what, that's what people who are blinded by Satan's lies don't understand. The more they try to clamp down on the church, the greater it spreads. Many men and women in this Samaritan town, they believed in Jesus, and then they were baptized to show their belief, to go public with their faith, to identify in, in the water with Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And we see this pattern over and over again in the Acts. Believe in Jesus, get baptized. You know, we talk about that in our disciple-making pathway, discovering faith in Jesus, developing faith in Jesus, deploying faith in Jesus. Well, after discovering faith in Jesus, there really is a part, the early part of discovering faith in Jesus. Baptism is the first step in developing faith in Jesus. And so I have a question for you. Have you been baptized since you believed, since you started following Jesus Christ, since you stepped over the line of faith? If you haven't been baptized, I want to encourage you. That is, that is, it's not, you don't get baptized so you go to heaven, but it is a command of Jesus. It's, it's a requirement. It's, it's a first step of obedience in following him. So if you haven't been, just go to the, you can use the QR code on the seat back in front of you, or you can open up the BPF app and dig around there and you'll find really quick, I want to be baptized. And let us know, and we'll contact you and set up a time for you to be baptized, to go public in your faith, with your faith in Jesus. Well, a lot of people were believing in being baptized in this Samaritan town. And one of the people who believed and was baptized was this magician or sorcerer named Simon. The people in the city called him the great power of God. He was a big deal. He was a false prophet. They thought because he had all this power that the power was coming from God. It was coming from Satan. 
This great power of God, though, was so amazed at the actual power of God that, that we read in the book of Acts that he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. And so, I mean, things are really happening, and news is getting back to Jerusalem. As, as, as this great news about people coming to faith in Samaria got back to the church in Jerusalem, um, uh, man, it's, it stirred up some, some interest, and people wanted to know from Jerusalem. Now, while most of its members left Jerusalem in the diaspora when, when Stephen was martyred and Paul, Saul began uh, arresting people and beating them, the apostles, the 12 apostles, they stayed. They were like, bring it. You talk about resilience. They stayed. But when they heard the news, when they heard the news that Samaria had accepted the word of God, just to be sure that this was actually what God was doing, because at this point, they still were thinking Jesus was only for the Jews. They really hadn't, even though he had, he had met Samaritans and, and it had, a, had a great uh, visit with a woman at a well in Samaria, and, and a lot of people in that Samaritan town believed in Jesus, they still hadn't kind of connected the dots that Jesus wasn't just a Jewish Messiah. He was a Messiah for everyone in the world. And so they sent Peter and John to check it out. They were two of the church's most trusted leaders. Look at Acts chapter 8, verse 15. When they, when Peter and John, when they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Folks, this was great news. This is a a major, major monumental moment in the life of the church because the church had become multi-ethnic at this point. It was no longer just one race, one ethnicity following Jesus. And the people that the Jews were taught to hate all their lives, the most hated people of the Jews were now becoming their brothers and sisters in Christ. That is the gospel of reconciliation. The gospel of reconciliation reconciles different ethnic groups. It even reconciles Democrats, Republicans, and independents and flaming apathetics. It pulls all of us together in Jesus Christ. That's what the power of God does. Now, I need to stop and dig a little deeper into these three verses, though, before moving on to the story, because of what we see in here is it's, uh, it's a, it can be a little bit confusing. These verses have been difficult for many to understand through the years, so... What we see in here is that these Samaritans who believed in Jesus, who had gone public with their faith, they hadn't yet received the Holy Spirit. And Peter and John placed their hands on them. They laid hands on them. That just means they put their hands on their shoulders and prayed for them. And they laid their hands on them, and that's when they received the Holy Spirit. So because of this, because this is different than what we read about in the rest of the book of the Bible, is some contend that this text teaches that not all believers receive the Holy Spirit when they step over the line of faith. And that they must have some kind of later spiritual experience, some later baptism, like speaking in tongues. Others kind of modify this view, teaching that the Samaritans were Christians, but they had some measure of the Holy Spirit, but not all of it, and they didn't have any spiritual gifts yet. And still others understand these verses to mean that Samaritans' faith was really just not a real faith that was effective, and the Spirit wouldn't come until they had a genuine faith that, that Peter and John had to explain to them. And I believe that all three of these explanations contradict other scripture, including this passage itself. So here's a better explanation that I read in a commentary from a guy named Tony Merida. He's a scholar and pastor of Imago Day Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. Here's what Merida says. Here's his take on it. Okay? He said, the spirit was withheld until the apostles could verify the gospel work. As the gospel first moved beyond Jerusalem, the Lord sovereignly waited to give the manifestation of the spirit until the apostles could be there to witness it firsthand and see that because they were the leaders of the early church. 
Now, at the proper time, the apostles from the mother church, they were there to witness and welcome the Samaritan believers into God's church. We're going to see a similar story in Acts 11 as we journey through Acts. Which is the right explanation? Well, this is the one I believe is the most likely that fits the rest of the Bible, but we're not certain about this. But one thing that we know, clearly something happened when they received the Holy Spirit through the laying on of hands. Uh, we don't really know what happened. Something did because it, it, it was enough to be remarkable that people noticed it. They may have spoken in tongues like we saw in uh, Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. Or perhaps they began speaking the word boldly. That's what we see throughout the book of Acts. When people are filled with the Holy Spirit, the, most, the, the thing that is, accompanies almost every time is they speak the word of God boldly. They preach the word. And then, or maybe, maybe just their countenance was different enough that it was remarkable in a positive way. In, in some way, it was, it was like a Samaritan Pentecost, if you remember from Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost. Now, as we talk about this and talk about like what happened here and, and how to understand it and how to, how to make it make sense, let me just remind you of a principle that I will point out over and over again in the book of Acts, okay? It is that some books of the Bible, like the book of Acts, are mostly descriptive. They're history. They describe what happened with little or no commentary. We're not told exactly what happened here. We're just told what happened. Others, like the epistles or the letters, the books of, from Romans all the way to 3 John, uh, or to the book of Jude, they are prescriptive. They prescribe how we should believe and how we should behave. We, we need to be very careful. We need to be very careful that we don't uh, ascribe theology to something that is just meant to be descriptive here. We receive inspiration from the book of Acts. That's why we're working our way through it. We see examples of sincere motives on display. We see examples of insincere motives on, for, on display. We've already seen some of that. We learn about the power of prayer, and that's what I hope we get most out of this uh, journey through Acts. We learn how to face hardships with resilience, and so much more from the book of Acts. But we have to be careful not to create theology that contradicts the prescriptive books in the Bible. So, Let's give an example of insincere motives. Simon the sorcerer is an example of insincere behavior. His faith journey, if, it, if he was in, indeed a, a Christ follower, it takes an early wrong turn. Look at verse 18. When Simon, he, remember, he's the sorcerer, the great power of God, the, the false prophet. When Simon, uh, by the way, people stopped following him and started following uh, Philip after uh, Philip told them the gospel. So when Simon saw that the spirit was given at the laying all of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay hands may receive the Holy Spirit. So again, we see this, this so-called great power of God realized his power was not so great at all, and he sought to buy what no amount of money could ever buy, and that's the power of God. You can't buy it. You can only receive it humbly through God when he chooses to lay it on you and use that to bring glory to his name and bring people to faith in Jesus. So here's Peter's response. Acts chapter eight, verse 20. Peter answered to Simon, may your money perish with you. Think through that. <laughs> may your money die and you too, perhaps. May your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry. Because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. Man, Peter came down hard on him. And yet, even as he comes down hard on Simon, he still offers him 
grace, God's grace. He offered him a way out. He said, repent, pray, and hope that God will forgive such a thought. And it got Simon's attention because look at verse 24. Simon answered, pray the Lord for me so that nothing you said may happen to me. Man, was, and so here's the question. And we don't have a clear answer to this question. Was Simon's reply a sign of repentance? Or was he just in fear of money or losing his life? He would not have known about this, but the last time Peter rebuked somebody over an issue of insincerity about money, they died right there. And uh, so, I mean, he's like, man, I, I don't want this to happen to me, you know? So is he a true follower of Jesus or not? Is he repentant or just frightened? We, we don't know. I do know this. Lots of people claim to follow Jesus. They even get baptized. And, and after a while, you see there's nothing different about their life than it was before the gospel. And they keep on living a life that does not point to Jesus Christ at all. We have seen this happen many times over the years here at Brazos Point. It's not uncommon. Maybe Simon was a baby believer who repented of his sin and, and then moved on and, and did what, you know, took advantage of God's forgiveness there as a young Christ follower who just didn't know any better. Or maybe he didn't really become a Christ follower. But here's the deal that's important to note here. Peter told him it's not too late to repent. And folks, as long as you have breath, it's not too late to repent of your sin. Here's how the story ends. Look at verse 25. After they had further proclaimed the word of the Lord and testified about Jesus, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages. So Peter and John, the apostles sent by the church in Jerusalem to verify what was happening in Samaria, they didn't just accept the truth that Jesus' grace was available to non-Jews, to Samaritans. Samaritans were like a, a, a they, they were a mixed race of Jews and Gentiles, non-Jews. And that's why the Jews looked down on them. They weren't pure Jews. But they not only accepted the truth that these Samaritans were now their brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, they applied and shared it in Samaritan villages all the way back. They didn't just walk back to Jerusalem. They went and they stopped in villages. Every village they went along the way, they stopped and they preached the word. They told people about Jesus. And the diaspora created by the martyrdom of Stephen continued to result in the spread of the gospel beyond Jerusalem. And we're going to see that all the rest of the way through the book of Acts as we read that. It's going to be fascinating as we look at it. But what I want you to know this morning is that a 21st century diaspora is having the same effect. Matter of fact, a couple of them. I mean, there are, there are Syrians in, among many other places, in Frankfurt, Germany, where Christians from a lot of different you know, uh, denominations and all are sharing the gospel with these Syrians who would never have heard the gospel in Syria. But by the millions they've left, and, and so many thousands of them are in Frankfurt, and they're hearing the gospel in this diaspora. But there's another place, too, where this diaspora is, is taking place right now. Kathy and I met missionaries from all over Europe last summer when we went to a, a meeting with the International Mission Board in, in Amsterdam. The International Mission Board is our church's primary missions partner. Kathy and I talked with some of the most resilient Christ followers we have ever met, like a couple, Mike, Michael and Julianne, a couple assigned to Ukraine. As we listen to this, their story, we saw God in his sovereignty is still applying the first law of thermodynamics to scatter the church and spread the gospel. The greater the heat, the greater the expansion. I want you to hear a modern day 
book of Acts story. Pay attention to the screens. Hey folks, uh, my name is Mike Domke. This is my wife, Julianne, and uh, we are church planters. Normally we live in Kiev, Ukraine, where we've been since 2008, but you know, something happened. We, war. And you know, at the end of COVID, COVID's, I mean, if you're like me, you're thinking, oh yay, COVID's over. There's AC and BC, right? BC is before COVID and then there's AC after COVID and life was getting back to normal. We had a senior in high school and Everything seemed to be great until January the 25th. Uh, and we were given... 24 hours to evacuate ourselves and our team. Yeah, and yeah. find and, and get everything out. And we, we, the kids come to us asking this question. How much did we pack? Yeah. We said, pack for two weeks. Two weeks. You know, of course, we couldn't have gotten more than that in our car. For There's five of us. And we leave. And that started the journey of... The, the, the continual question of, I don't know. Yeah. And, you know, from where are we eating to where are we living to where are we going, the answer was always the same. I don't know. I don't know that everyone experienced it quite the same, but no. for us, um, we arrived here in Budapest and with a lot of other missionaries who evacuated from a few other countries as well. And it just seemed, at least in our minds, that we're praying about, <clears throat> God, where do we go? Where do we go? And other people seem to know. Yeah. Um, God seemed to give them a vision of what they were to do, and some moved on to other countries, and we're still you know, just treading water, trying to figure out what's next, what's yeah. going on, trying to live. Our kids were in online school. I was teaching. We had students all over the world, and I uh, had kids still in Ukraine. We'd have air, air raid sirens go off in the midst of online classes. So I don't know continued to be yeah. the answer for everything and began to wear on us. And it got to the point where we couldn't really, honestly, we couldn't function and we needed to break. And uh, fortunately we were given that and we began to try to figure things out. And I think we learned that we were asking the wrong question. Not yeah. For us, it was not where do you go, it's what can we do right here where God has placed us temporarily. Yeah, and we began to ask God, where, God, where are you working? Yeah. And what do you want us to do? What is, how are we part of the solution? And we recognize that God or, you know, put us here for a reason, for a purpose. And what happened was Julianne created, began to, to pray like, like at two in the morning, she would set her alarm and get up and pray. I heard that is when uh, most of the bombs were hitting the cities and you know, there wasn't anything else I could do for our friends, for our national partners, but pray. So, so she did. I prayed a She lot. would pray. And for months this happened. Mm -hmm. And I began to meet with national partners and we began to investigate inside the country what's going on. And we saw where churches had gone down to nothing, but now they were growing. And what happened was we began to resource them and to help them. And they began to meet needs and people were beginning to repent we saw people being baptized, and we've seen churches grow. We've even seen new churches started in the midst of, in some of the really hard places, there's new churches. I was just in the country where one church, grown four times its size, moved to a new location. They've already ordained a new team to go back to the old, old place to start new work. So, so, yeah, this is horrible. We're not where we want to be, but we are where God wants us to be. Yeah. And God is using this tragedy and 
using what he has created through us to continue to minister. And we're seeing great things happen. So I know we're not alone. We want to encourage you to, to keep moving, to keep on, keeping on, and keep serving the Lord right where you are. Mike and Julianne recorded that video for the other missionaries in Europe. And the things that he was talking about, the, uh, the resources that he was given, Mike alone has helped distribute a million and a half dollars, what we call send relief funds. That's funds that you provide. When you give, you know, in our church, a portion goes to a thing called the cooperative program that supports IMB. And then our annual uh, missions offering every year goes to support the IMB and send relief projects. And so you have had a part. If you've ever given anything here, you've had a part in providing relief to many people there. Churches are growing like crazy. In Ukraine, Mike and, and Julianne are in Budapest right now, but he has since been going back and forth, traveling all around Ukraine, doing some of these projects. And um, But another story that he doesn't tell here is that so many thousands, tens of thousands, maybe even hundreds of thousands, I don't know, uh, of women and children escaped and, and left uh, Ukraine, and they've settled all across Eastern and, and Central Europe. Most of the people in Ukraine on the west side of Ukraine speak Russian, so they've all gone, and a lot of them, tens of thousands of them, are Christians, and tens of thousands of those Christians have been pouring into all the Russian-speaking churches around Central and Eastern Europe, and they brought new life to these churches. Europe is as dead as you can imagine spiritually. In most places, it's less than 1% Christian. There are forms of religion, but most people have no idea who Jesus is, don't know anything about him. And so both inside Ukraine, where it's really hard, people are coming to faith. Outside Ukraine, where these women have gone and continue to tell people about Jesus, revival is being sparked on an awakening all across Central and Eastern Europe. And I've been hearing reports about this for months now. It's really happening. We are seeing this exponential growth of the church. Not because God caused the war, but he allowed it in his sovereignty and in his sovereignty, people who would die and go to hell without the knowledge of Jesus Christ are now coming to faith in large numbers because of this persecution. So when we see this, it, it's heartbreaking. I, I pray for that war to end and that misery to stop. But I also pray that God would continue to use that. The heat increased and the church scattered and grew. I don't want persecution to happen to us. I believe it is coming in generations from now. It's gonna get a lot worse here if something doesn't change. But I do pray that in some ways, much short of persecution, that God turns the heat up with us and we expand and we feel this, this burning desire to share the good news of Jesus Christ with people here that we encounter every day. I pray for a gospel passion. Let's pray. God, I thank you for what you're doing in Ukraine. I thank you for what you're doing in Central and Eastern Europe and how so many thousands and thousands of people who might never have heard truth about your son Jesus are now hearing. They're repenting of their sins. They're experiencing freedom from sin and from the guilt and new life in Jesus Christ. And they're telling others who are receiving, believing in Jesus and being baptized, God, bless them. I pray you'd give them grace to handle the, just the horrific conditions so many of them are living in and um, the diaspora, some whom may never return home. God, help them give them grace just like you gave grace to the early church from Jerusalem 
that spread out across Judea, Samaria, and the remotest parts of the world so that someday that gospel news could spread across to Western Europe and into America. And we're the recipients of that. We stand on their shoulders. God, help us to pass on that great news of the gospel. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.